Hello, and welcome to The Queer Thesperience. I am your host, Casper Oliver, who is re-recording this intro because when I first recorded this interview a while ago, I was using different pronouns and a different uh, a title for my identity, which is further proof that gender and sexuality are fluid. Uh, but before I continue forward, please be sure to stick around to the end of this episode, because from here on out, at the end of every Thesperience episode, we will be playing a trailer for another queer-led podcast that I personally suggest you check out. Anyway, let's get to the interview. Hi, I'm Casper Oliver. I use primarily they, them, but also he, him pronouns. I am a queer, non-binary entertainer that I kind of just do whatever I can get my grubby hands on. I have a very lovely guest and I will allow you to introduce yourself. Uh, hi, my name is Danny Ernawine. I uh, go by Mystic Rumors on pretty much every handle that I have on the internet. Um, I am bisexual and I act, um, same as Caspar over here, pretty much everything I can get my hands on. Um, modeling, writing, just really um, love supporting and being a part of the arts in general. And your pronouns? Oh, she, her pronouns. Perfect. So Danny and I are going to be t- uh, discussing multi-gender attraction in the representation of that in media, which I'm very excited about. And that's going to cover bisexuality, pansexuality, um, polysexuality, and polyamory, and all of the other uh, identities that fall into being attracted to more than one gender, because it is very under and simultaneously poorly represented in media. Oh, yeah. (laughs) But before we get into that, I always like to ask, uh, when did you start getting into the entertainment world? Like, when did you start acting? Um, So acting for me has always kind of been something I love. I did little theater stuff when I was in like elementary school and then I fell off that boat and did dance well, I did dance for a long time. That's a whole thing. Um, then, you know, high school, I started going to conventions and did like convention shows and finally got back into theater when I had theater teachers who were like, hey, you can actually do things. And I was like, wow, this is hard. I love it. Um, and then, um, you know, I graduated high school and ended up going to college for hospitality management for some reason. Um, but... <laughs> So I'm totally using that. (laughs) Um, But while I was in college, I was able to get some experience doing like short films, um, uh, like student films and things like that. And once I graduated, it was great to finally go and take some acting classes. And so now is really when I'm like focusing on my career it's crazy because like so much of it has been building up to now when I'm working on things like I finally was able to help with a voice acting project that's exciting I won't plug that too much right now (laughs) I'm excited about that I will give you plenty of time to plug all throughout because I believe in shamelessly plugging (laughs) when you can but I just out of pure curiosity what did you do for conventions um, so I basically started attending like anime conventions in what was it like 20 
it's either 2011 or 2012. Um, and at first I just was attending them and then I went to one and I was like, wow, they have shows here. I want to audition for one of these. And I did. <laughs> and it was really cool. And so it was a really great way to kind of um, learn some new skills, I guess, and meet new people and learn how to make costumes. <laughs> that was fun. Um, but it was, um, it's like a different environment than you see in like, the outside community theater and like film theater and stuff like that because you sit there and you're like we're a bunch of nerds in costumes and like if you sit there and think about that then it's like <laughs> what can you do that's what we're doing and that's what we love doing so it was it's more based on like you know just appreciation for that i think than anything else and well, that's just me talking but <laughs> well yeah and that that does make sense you're surrounded just by a bunch of nerds especially like if you're at an anime convention it's a bunch of fellow anime nerds or if it's something like metrocon you can meet other comic book nerds and video game nerds and you all just come for the love of the media and also the added passion of acting so it's like a double whammy of passion so that makes sense to me at least but that, that was mostly just out of curiosity because that's cool. Uh, but has you being, uh, and I, I realized that in some episodes I've worded the question of like, when did you come out? And I realized that that's kind of a silly question because I feel like we're constantly coming out. Uh, you never stop coming out. But so I guess the way to word it is, if you don't mind my asking, about when did you start start the process of being open about your identity as a bisexual individual? I feel like I was kind of one of those people who, when I hit that point, I became one of those, wow, women are amazing people. Like, as soon as I realized that I liked <laughs> girls too, I was like, wow, everything makes sense. No yeah. wonder I loved this character so much. Oh, <laughs> um, but it's like, oh, no wonder watching Victorious, I liked Jade and her boyfriend. And I can only remember Jade's name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, um, it's like the little things like that. But I think that like, because in high school, they have like the GSA club at some schools. And I feel like that's like a spot for a lot of people to think they're an ally. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then you get to like senior year of high school and you're like, oh, I'm like, not. <laughs> I'm not just an ally. I'm part of the group. <laughs> like, oh. Yeah. I, I, what's, the reason I'm chuckling so much is that is literally my experience as well you know I grew up being viewed and perceived as a woman so like my attraction to men was like never questioned and I remember the first musical one of the first musicals I ever saw uh, the film version was Chicago and I saw that probably a bit too young for a, a child <laughs> and I remember seeing Chicago and being like wow those ladies though mm -hmm. and then I got a little older and my mom showed me Resident Evil and I saw Mia Jovovich as Alice and I'm like oh 
uh, oh, oh, that, that's what, that's what this is. <laughs> and so it, it's just like the moment you realize that it's like that full embrace of just everyone's attractive and it hurts so much. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, you've been, you've been kind of embracing that since it seems kind of late high school. Has that ever played a role or oh, either for better or for worse, I guess we'll word it, uh, in your in your time as an entertainer? I feel like it's kind of like an interesting one because it's a weird way to say this, but because of the way people view bisexuality, it's like easy to hide and you don't hide anything on purpose but you can go in and comfortably audition truthfully for like both roles and that's not like a bad thing in any way shape or form it's just like at the same time (laughs) if you mention it to people sometimes people are like but what does that mean? <laughs> right, yeah. But what do you mean? And I'm like, well, what I mean is it doesn't quite matter in this situation. Yeah, so it doesn't really matter right <laughs> now? It doesn't really matter right now because that's not what we're focusing on. Um, yeah, so I would say it's one of those like weird things where it does and it doesn't because it really isn't a factor that people take into account unless they are the type of person who will zone in on it right either it's like in with my experience um now that when i was presenting as more feminine and uh allowing myself to be perceived as female uh with me being in a relationship a very committed and happy relationship with a woman it was one of those things where people would view me as like, oh, you're a lesbian. I'm like, uh, no, there's nothing wrong with lesbians, but I'm not a lesbian because I have this male cast member over here who is very handsome and like, is very attractive. And I'm not going to just ignore the fact that this is a very handsome gentleman over here or what have you. And now that I'm being perceived as male in a relationship with a woman now engaged, they're like, oh, you're straight. And I'm like, have you heard me talk? <laughs> like, have you seen this? Like, what radiates <laughs> straight about any of this, you know? And I feel like that's a common struggle. Yeah. And I've noticed it especially with women, where it's like, oh, you're a bi woman, but you're with a woman. So, no, you're actually a lesbian. But then if you are a bisexual woman and with a man, it's almost this, like, you're betraying the queer community. Yeah, and then there's, like, this weird, like, if you're in a relationship, it's kind of, like, and if, you know, obviously I can't speak from the partner's side because I'm I'm just who I am. And so, but, like, There's also sometimes that idea where it's like, oh, well, now I have twice the competition. And it's like, well, no, because I'm dating you. (laughs) You don't have any competition. 
It's like, I've committed myself to you. We're good. Yeah, it's like you didn't think you had competition before, but now that you know this, you think you have competition, but you don't. And I think that kind of stems from the common misconception and the common representation of people attracted to multiple genders where there's like that you are a you're more prone to infidelity you're prone to cheating to sleeping around and there's no shame in sleeping around as long as like everyone who's involved in it knows that's happening you know like open relationships polyamory people who aren't in committed relationships or in casual relationships you know those sorts of things totally fine but there's that misconception that you can't trust people who are bi or pan or what have you and I that, that I think that ultimately stems from the poor representation we've had in media. Yeah, definitely. And we touched on this in our Facebook conversations where another issue with people, with characters that are written as bi or pan or what have you, are usually the sassy, mean, bitter, jaded, like they're not the warm compassionate characters they are the sassy like the the only character that's coming to mind is um and it it breaks my heart to actually i I don't even know if i want to mention her character's name because of the loss of the actress but santana from glee um but like those it's it's always that 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 cruelty that comes with it and that like repression and that's written into the characters you know um so I kind of wanted to get a, a bit of your opinion on that, on your view of those sorts, that, that sort of characterization with people attracted to multiple genders. Yeah, and I find that to be super frustrating as well because the idea that someone just because, like I can understand if it wasn't so overly used because people in the LGBTQ community you know, deal with a lot. (laughs) So characters having a chip on their shoulder in general makes sense. But Mm -hmm. if a bisexual, pansexual character, polysexual, polyamorous (laughs) um, types of characters are the ones who are always, you know, like, sassy, or they're always like, oh, well, I'm gonna get you to do all these things that you wouldn't normally do because you never even whatever. Instead of like, (laughs) I have so many friends who are just like the sweetest people in the entire universe. They'll just message you and be like, hey, I love you so much. I have so much love to give. And it's not even like on a romantic level. It's just because they have so much love to give right like to their romantic partners and to everyone yeah and i'm like so why can't we represent that part of it why do we have to go with the side of it where it's like oh no it's just this and inevitably they're going to do something bad right yeah and like that's something that i've kind of struggled with in the past again when i was especially when i was presenting as female um and now that I'm presenting as male, I actually kind of 
make sure to show my attractive towards attraction towards men strictly because I always want to be seen as part of the queer community. Like I'm still here. Like I'm still here. But my my fiance and I have been together for like five and a half years now. And she and I have the type of relationship where we'll be out in public and we someone, whoever it may be, whatever gender they may be, just walks by a very attractive person. And like, she'll nudge me and point them out. And it's like, oh, look over there. And I'm like, oh, oh. And I get like a little flustered because attractive people fluster me. And then we move on. You know, it's just, and it, whenever you see that in media, it's, then, then things become predatory. Yeah. That's the word I was looking for earlier. Yeah, very- it becomes like this, oh, like, yeah. <laughs> like, uh, oh, I have to focus on them now. Like, maybe I should go over and make a move. And it's like, no, usually we stand in the corner and kind of blush. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> usually we're like, oh, my God. <laughs> like, I'll be standing next to my boyfriend and he'll be like, hey, that girl's really cute. And I'll be like, yeah, she is. Uh. <laughs> I can't look over there now. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and... And also the another thing that kind of really just gets me and frustrates me is whenever you see like I'm gonna quote this polyamory in media, and the reason that I quote it is because it's rarely ever true polyamory. Yes, it's you know someone is they two people are dating and one person has other partners that the, the the that one partner doesn't know about and it's like well I'm polyamorous like no you're a cheater and there's a huge difference there is a huge difference yeah and that seems to be associated with anyone who you know and there are people who are straight that are polyamorous like a, a straight man may have multiple girlfriends and they can all know about each other and that can be healthy you know but I, so I do want to include polyamory, even though that doesn't always mean multiple gender attraction, but it kind of fits under that umbrella when it comes to representation. Yeah. But we are starting to see better representation of people with like multi, like multiple, multi-gender attraction. Um, especially with like, you know, newer cartoons are starting to get better with it. Yes. Um, and I was kind of, I just want to take a brief moment to kind of touch on like those sorts of things. So in your mind, is there anything like off the top of your head, like good notable by like by representation, something that's actually set with you really well? Um, so I feel like I might get some flack for this because it happened so long ago. So, so many people don't realize how big of a deal it was. Um, Legend of Korra. Yeah. People don't realize how big of a deal that was, especially because Nickelodeon was <laughs> cutting them off so hardcore. And people were like, oh, there was no lead into this. I'm sorry, Korra. She had the haircut. She was blushing the whole season. I'm sorry. But like, the fact that they went from, yes, there's obviously a liking for this guy throughout the seasons. It was very complicated. Didn't need to be that complicated. I'm glad he went on a journey to find himself. But the fact that they took something so simple and they just had these girls together at the end and that was something that you didn't see positively 
anywhere, especially in like a children's cartoon. Well, children's cartoon, <laughs> Legend of Korra went kind of hard. But like so many people were like, oh my God, oh my God. And I was like, oh my God, oh my God, because like I had not seen it before. And that was like a little bit of a gateway to like all these other things that started happening. And so it was just like one of those really beautiful moments. Like I know that there's more that have come since then. That was just a turning point personally, especially as a person of color. Like um, even though I know that in the air, like last airbender universe, it's based in like Asian cultures and everything. Yeah. Um, But it was still like really, really like, hard hitting yeah. <laughs> I was like whoa <laughs> oh my god <laughs> yeah. and, um, and one another show that I uh I've personally been a huge fan of and I think it was made by the same team or some of the people who were on this show also had involvement in Steven Universe but I really love the show OKKO I don't know if you ever heard of that one I don't think I have Okay, it's it's a much lesser known cartoon, especially when comparing it to like Steven Universe. But it was the same theme of like 10 minute long episodes. They would air the episodes like back to back and they had multiple queer characters, um, um, both like protags and antags. And one of the antagonists who did have a pretty solid redemption arc, at least from what I remember, I haven't watched it in a while, um, ended up being just very canonically bi like before he turned to villainy he had this committed female partner and ended up having a kid with her and then trauma tragedy blah 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 super villainy stuff happened (laughs) and then at the end of the series he ends up with a married to a man and like like almost like adopting this other dude's kids i'm using quotes because it's like robots but like you know all this (laughs) and it's it's interesting because when you see queer villains it's like of course but to have a show that has queer heroes and villains it's like okay so we're just all over and yeah i think that's kind of what's being asked for is like okay you can still make the queer villains can we have queer heroes though as well or queer civilians even anything I feel like a big one, uh, does it count as a spoiler if it's been out for a while? Yeah. <laughs> uh, I feel like a big one for a lot of people has been She-Ra. Yes. Um, that's a super obvious one to go for, obviously. But um, if you haven't watched She-Ra, watch She-Ra. Um, yeah, like they really just went for it. <laughs> they were like, here you go. Take it. Have the goods. Have I, the goods. I haven't seen it, but I do know what happens because I'm on Tumblr. So I was like, oh, well, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. But and you're seeing it pop up more and more. Mm-hmm. And there are some other times that it's been there and it's been a thing. Like a character is attracted to people of multiple genders. Like my one of my all-time favorite movies is Pacific Rim. I love Pacific Rim. I haven't seen the sequel, but I love Pacific Rim. 
and I love Newt Geisler, one of the main scientists from the movie. Have you seen Pacific Rim? Yes. I okay. Love Pacific Rim so much. That's why oh, I, was, I was like, good. yes. <laughs> it's so good. And I again, I haven't seen the sequel um, because I learned a spoiler about it and I got mad and threw a little bit of a fit. And then I was like, well, I'm not seeing this in theaters. I know this happens. And I <laughs> kind of regret it. Um, but how if you go through the bonus features, it is 100% confirmed that Newt Geisler is Pan. Uh, in his little bio, it lists like, it's like either who he'll date or his attraction or whatever it's labeled. And the response is just like, whoever will have him. Like that's a, that's a very pan response. Like, (laughs) especially because he was kind of officially, unofficially, um, I think it was confirmed by the creators diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And that's just both of those things put together. It's like, yeah, yeah, that, that seems like the fair response. For a character like that um and he is very queer coded with his relationship with the other scientist herman mm-hmm. and then you also have like the almost queer platonic or, or like the platonic bond between mako and raleigh and i was so glad when that movie didn't end with them kissing like it just like it was a hug and it was a tender moment but it wasn't a kiss i was like oh yes Oh, good. (laughs) Yeah, it's really nice to see. Like, I think Pacific Rim really nailed um, how to show kind of, uh, what's it called? It's like how to kind of nail showing that connection because that was the whole point. Yeah. Was that you have to be in sync. Yeah. Yeah to be able to do anything and I think that that's kind of where the biggest strength was and they didn't have to be like ah they need to be smooching and loving on each other to show this because like some of the people are siblings that'd be really weird yeah they they have the triplets they do have a married couple but they also have the father and son duo yeah and also like Pentecost and his whole thing and which I love him so much and I refuse to believe that what we see in the movies what actually happened um, <laughs> but and it, it's so these, there's these little ways that you see it in throughout media but there has been this long struggle with characters who identify as and you, you see this with even like I, I I didn't see the movie personally because when I learned about the gist of the movie I was like ah this is not my cup of tea but what was it um something's body it had angelina jolie in it it was a horror film um, uh, are you talking about jennifer's body the that's one that it had, um was it megan oh megan fox it was megan fox megan and angelina fox. jolie back um, when none of us appreci- appreciated her yeah it was back, back <laughs> when it was like cool to hate her and i feel bad for it um yeah. I, i'm gonna i'm not gonna lie the the transformers movies are what really made me like uh but then i learned how michael bay treated her and i was like oh yeah, I was oh. like, oh no, I should have been appreciating her this whole time. <laughs> I should have been on her side. Dang it, media. You've done it again. Um, but you see it a lot in horror, too, where it's usually when you have a bi character, it's usually a woman, and it's usually never a sense of loving multiple people. It's just thirst bait. Yes. And that that hypersexualization of people who are attracted to more than one gender, and that's kind of ignoring people who are for let's say bi or pan or whatever romantic, but maybe asexual 
or demisexual that want to just give love to people of many genders, but the, the physical attraction for that sort of level of intimacy just isn't there. And there's a level of a very high level of toxicity when that level of sexuality, like that level of rampant sexuality is forced as the norm when I think you and I both know we're not all sex fiends and it's okay if you are, but we (laughs) aren't all rampantly thirsting over every, we're not all kid, we're on, we're not all Jim Kirking it, right? We're all, we're not, (laughs) which, oh. I feel like it's really weird too. Um, It is especially shown in women. Like it's a lot harder for some reason for people to fathom a bisexual pansexual male character and i don't know if that's a societal issue they're like oh men don't know how to like people (laughs) yeah honestly (laughs) but uh i think that's a really frustrating thing to see too though because i feel like personally that makes it harder for men to be like oh it's okay for me to like both sides you know because it's always the girls who are like oh I can swing both ways like it's always girls (laughs) and I'm like that's great for me to know that I can do that but like this guy over here has no idea yeah and when you do see it, it again you still have the same issue of it being very sexualized with characters like um uh, coming from someone who hasn't seen a lot of Doctor Who or Torchwood, um, I know, absolute travesty. Um, but like Captain Jack Harkness, who's like, oh, everyone's attractive and I, you know, I'm an equal opportunity employer. And it's like, okay, that's great because there are people like that. But once again, that's all you see. Mm-hmm. Or, or it's portrayed as a um, male presenting character who's... It's like, oh, I know I like women, but I, I can't like men. And there's that that weight. It's like, no, this is the, the forbidden fruit. And it's like, no, it, it's okay. You can you can go. Go. Yeah. And that just leads to more of that internalized biphobia, internalized homophobia, you know, and just it it just perpetuates that stigma. And it was brought up recently in a group that I'm in where I wasn't part of the conversation, but I was watching other people discuss it, where um, you don't see a lot of trans men in media. You don't see a lot of bi men in media. You see a lot of gay men in media, but usually you see gay white men in media, and they're usually all the same. Not always, but usually all the same. Mm -hmm. And how do I want to word this? It's like there's a lot of people that are put in the shadows and underrepresented, if ever represented. And that makes it very hard for people who don't have that representation to see themselves, especially because we don't talk about it. You know, there with there being so little represent, representation with queer characters of color or trans characters um, of color. And like literally, and I said this just the last episode I recorded, the only like trans 
actor that I can think of that played a trans role is Laverne Cox. And she is also the only trans actor of color that comes to mind because those characters aren't written and those actors aren't sought out because the representation isn't there. And if the representation is there, they still get overlooked. That's an entirely different issue. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So it's, you made a really good point earlier that I would like to kind of go further on with um, like when you saw the finale of the legend of Korra, it, did frustrate a lot of people. Some people said it came out of left field and blah, blah, blah. But you mentioned a very important point that they had to fight Nickelodeon for that. And something that I've touched on before that I would love to get your opinion on is queer creators having to do all the work to make the representation and how it's always an uphill battle. Uh, So I would love to kind of get your opinion on the weight of representation and the weight of like equality with that sort of thing being put so heavily on the minority, on the marginalized groups. Yeah. I feel like the hardest thing about it too, um, like for one thing, it's really heavy because it's basically feels kind of like someone saying, well, I don't really value this character enough to write about them. And simultaneously, it's kind of like when people tell you, oh, if you want this character so much, go and write about them. So then when queer (laughs) writers and, you know, directors and all these things are like, okay, I'll put these characters in. And suddenly they're like, well, why are you pandering to this audience? And it's like, you're the ones who told us to do this. You can't tell us that we're pandering to anyone when we're putting in the representation that you didn't put in because you told us that you aren't willing to do it. Like you're not willing to put in the work because I feel like as long as you're talking to people and getting their experiences um, and making sure that you're being respectful to um, queer culture and to um, that specific group, it's okay to write, you know, a character or like those types of characters into your stories. Because like, I'm bisexual, I am not transgender. I do not know the struggles of a trans person. So if I wanted to put a transgender character into my story, I would talk to one of my friends who is trans and ask them to help me so that I make sure that I am writing accurately. Right. Because it's still just writing a person, but it's also writing a specific person. Right. And that was something that uh, has been touched on before in the podcast was um, – like how, I don't know if you know about like the Adventure Zone or any of the McElroy brothers content, um, but they are three, they're three brothers and they did a D&D podcast with their dad and they are all cishet and though I do believe one of them, yes, one of them does have a wife who is bisexual um, and she's open and out, but all of them are assigned male at birth, identify as male and all of them are straight. But in their podcasts, 
like the Adventure Zone arcs, they've had queer characters. Justin had his D&D character be gay. And they had trans NPCs and all that. And when they started to do that, especially with such a following, they reached out to the queer community. We're like, hey, we want to implement this. How do we do this? And uh, Travis and his wife, Teresa, run a podcast called Schmanners where they talk about like the history of etiquette and stuff. It's really cool. Um, And they did an entire episode on trans historical figures because they did research. And so it's like if these three, I, I, with the most love in my heart, these three idiots, and <laughs> <can, laughs> with the utmost love in my heart, they aren't actually, they're actually all very intelligent, but good Lord. Um, if these three, if these guys can go and do that, like it, it's not hard to listen and take people's word for it and listen to their experiences and not go, well, I think it's like this when you've never lived it. Yeah. Because that's where the harmful representation comes in with the stereotypes. So with your experience in the entertainment industry, you you mentioned that with things like auditioning, um, it hasn't really been much of an issue before. Um, How was that? And I'm curious, I mentioned the convention community because like the convention scene has two different vibes that I've experienced. (laughs) Yeah. And I think you know where I'm going with this where there's one side of the con scene that's like, all the queers are here. Hello. We're here. We're queer. (laughs) We're nerds. And then you have the other side, which is a lot of, um, you get the the stereotypical, oh, well, she was written like this because, you know, of course she's straight and blah, 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 because she's never once, they've never said specifically that she's this and that very protective gatekeepy sort of thing. These two characters can't be fanship together because in the original story, they were both fought over by this character. And I'm sorry, I'm not going to say what I'm talking about because I don't want anyone to yell at your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, but the, what's so funny about that is that could be so many things. Yeah. That could be... I'm just trying now I'm just trying to think of things that I watched as a kid that could be vampire night that could be fruits basket that could be soul eater that could be star trek that could be that could be so many things because that happens so often yeah my first polyam ship because I started making them because I was like why aren't these characters just all dating was um the destiny island trio yes no because I was like None of them work without the other one. Like, I understand if you want to ship the boys, that's fair. You know, they're together all the time. But, like, you have to admit that Kyrie's an important part of the story. And they all care about each other. So, what if we just put them together? <laughs> yes! That, that has been a thing that my fiancé and I have talked about. Is you watch media and you see those love triangles... And you see all the the struggle and Nessa and I both are like, why can't they all just get together? Maybe. Yeah, I will say I did appreciate Fruits Basket because their story, this is just me talking about Fruits Basket because I love Fruits Basket. Go for it. Um, Their story never really directly focused on romance because the characters all faced a lot of their own emotional issues. And, like, the whole Yuki and Kyo thing, like, I think Yuki's 
kind of crush on Toru was more based a lot in his own need to get over his traumas. Yep. <laughs> so, <laughs> like, once he was kind of sorting those out, he was like, okay, I care about her a lot as a person, but I recognize that maybe <laughs> this isn't the route that I should be going, as opposed to Kyo being like, well, I have this whole art that is this. <laughs> yep. <laughs> Oh, I miss Fruits Basket. That was like one of my first ever animes and my first ever mangas. Like that's what got me into it. That and Soul Eater are just The like... new anime is so good and it's so accurate and I'm so happy. It's so pretty. It's so beautiful. And there are some, I, I, to our listeners, I swear we'll get back on topic. But uh, one of the things <laughs> is there, there are some animes that I want to be redone into like to follow the manga more correctly. Fruits Basket was one of them. Um, one of them that I don't want is Soul Eater because in the original <laughs> anime, Krona got a happy ending and in the manga, their life went to hell and I don't want that for them. And so I'm like, no, I'll just stay here with the anime where they get the happy ending and you can pry <laughs> Krona with your they, them pronouns out of my cold dead hands. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the baby alone. Thank you. <laughs> Stop. No, wait, you can't do that. They're baby. <laughs> Now that I'm older, every character is baby. I'm like... Well, when you watch anime, yeah, they're all high schoolers. Like, they're all yeah. babies. I started watching Hunter Hunter and just watching, like, Gon and Kiwa. And I'm like, you're baby and you're baby. And I keep calling Karabika Karakaka. Because <laughs> <laughs> I started and I can't stop. But he's baby and Leorio is baby. And... <laughs> they're all baby like and i i i will admit and i am shameless about this i really like sports anime and i'm like it's all queer baby and definitely fan servicey pandery but by god do i love it and i and it's it's always high schoolers so i'm just watching like free and i'm just like you're all babies get over yourselves like and then I proceed to watch every season and then all the movies as I yell at them <laughs> with the utmost love. But, and that, that's actually another thing we could touch on real quick is a lot of times when it comes to like multi-gender attraction, because uh, I was trying to find a way to wrap this back around and I found the way where you'll have <laughs> shows like that, where they have this like forced heterosexual or have perceived relationship quote-unquote with like a guy and a girl and usually the usually the female character is just thrown in there for the pure sake of that relationship with no character development no character personality of her own but there is so much tension and romantic chemistry with male characters that they do pander to they, they do feed into that but they're like no but he's not queer because he's dating this girl that like barely even has a name and it, so it's it, it, it's like commit yeah commit and that's been a huge thing with me i don't know have you ever played any of the persona games yes okay I... <laughs> you all did not that was, that was a reply i'm sorry no. beautiful like that that you all i wish you all could have just seen the face she made i feel like we had a moment like that was that was beautiful um <laughs> i didn't mean to make that that Face, no, that is the only accurate response that I will ever take for anyone now. Um, 
And I, you know what? I may get some flack for this. I don't care. I have a Goro Akechi tattoo on my arm. I don't care. I love him. That disaster boy. I relate to him so much. And I also want to dunk him in a trash can. Anyway. Um, but the Persona games, and I love them dearly, have had an issue with that sort of representation. With like Persona 4. <sighs> They, try, they, they tried and they did kanji so dirty. They did kanji so dirty. And um, then with like Persona 5, there's a lot of, there's so much more chemistry between like the protagonist with Ryuji, um, especially Ryuji. Um, but you, even though there's that chemistry, it's not even an option. You can pursue to date the, alcoholic journalist chick or who's an adult or your teacher yeah, you it's can like i can choose pedophilia but i can't be gay <laughs> yeah exactly it's like okay so you'd you'd rather you'd rather me pursue my homeroom teacher when i when you're playing like through the most of the game i think he's 17 you know even if he was 18 that's still really weird um and you can pursue your teacher but you can't pursue your best friend that has been ride or die since literally five minutes after meeting him. I was like, I just want to love the homie. He's <laughs> Ryuji is best boy. I just want to love on my homie. It's like, what's the point if I can't smooch a homie? What's the point? Yeah, no, Persona 3 had me in my OT3 game also. Oh, yeah? I, well, Persona 3 Portable. Um, because I played the female protagonist. Yeah. Because <laughs> she's better. Um, I've heard that a lot, actually. But Akihiko and Shinji, I loved both of them. And they also have backstory together. So I was like, what if I just date them both? But that game is really sad, so... <laughs> I've <laughs> also heard that. Well. Yeah. And that's actually a thing that I want to kind of delve into a little bit as our last topic. Um, I personally do identify as polyamorous, but I'm in a monogamous relationship. Um, and I am okay with that. I'm very happy with my partner. But mm -hmm. like, if she were ever open to it, I would be so down. You know, um, I see myself as someone with a lot of love to give. And which might be partially why I want to just answer all love triangles with polyamory. Um, but there are games, and this has been an actual issue, where I have actually tweeted at the official Sims account on Twitter. Um, yeah, I was petty. This was like four years ago, but I was so petty. Um, where I wanted to make some of my original characters in The Sims. And my characters, Ezra, Dimitri, and Ren, are in a very healthy polyamorous relationship. So I made all three of them and realized that The Sims doesn't let you do that because when you try to do that, everyone gets jealous and mean. And so I was like, it's not that hard. And then in games where you do have like the option, option for polyamory, um, I love Stardew Valley, but I'm going to call it out. Did it very poorly. Um, where you can technically romance all of the villagers that are that are romanceable. You can romance all of them. But if you don't have like this lucky rabbit's foot, they all find out about each other and then just totally ghost you. Like they all just cold shoulder you. But if you have the lucky rabbit's foot, they find out about each other, but then it's very stunted and awkward and they just don't acknowledge it. Hmm. 
And so it's like, you can get away. It's, it's not even a polyamory thing. It's a, you can get away with doing this. And Mm. I have yet to see a video game where you can that involves romancing that you can healthily romance more than one person. I can't think of a single game. And that's always my issue. Yeah. It's like, aside from like dating Sims where like the whole point is like, when characters are like oh yeah this route is fine with this because it's a dating sim and those are usually like the phone game ones yeah so they're not like i don't remember the names of them i have to ask my friend um um but yeah like i can't really think of any like games that really give you that sort of option and it's really disappointing like it's kind of like consider (laughs) consider the fact that this can work and i i I almost said would make life easier but it's not easy because it requires a ludicrous amount of communication but narratively speaking it could just make things so much easier if you it's like i want to romance both these characters or these multiple characters what do you mean i have to have multiple game files (laughs) yeah why uh and i think it's just because it's not even thought about. It's not even considered as a healthy possibility. And that's, again, stems from the stigma that's been put upon it. And you can really thank media for that high level of stigma if we're not going to go into, like, the really heavy, like, religious stuff. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's not what we're here for. Um, that's a, a different podcast I'm sure you can find somewhere. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there's the level of influence that the media has when it comes to just the poor writing of characters, ignoring those types of very valid relationships, putting them all into a very set of like boxed personalities. And yeah, it's, I, I feel like, honestly, we could do multiple episodes on this. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, uh, lordy. Um, well, we are kind of running low on time. So to wrap up, I usually ha- ask my guest, if you met someone kind of like in your shoes when you were kind of trying to find your place, when you had that moment of like, oh, that's an option for me. Like, you know, I don't just have to be attracted to someone of the opposite sex or gender. You know, I, th- there's not that restriction. If you met someone who is going through the struggle of realizing that, what sort of advice would you give? I think from a kind of personal point, um, don't let other people's perception of what you should or can do affect what you do. (laughs) Like, because sometimes people do that thing where they're like, oh, that's kind of hot. And it's like, don't do that. It's okay if you're not comfortable. Like, just let yourself be. Let yourself kind of grow and figure out your own space before you make those decisions, I think is kind of the advice I would give. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's, that's good advice. You know, don't let, so basically just like, don't let anyone pressure you. Just 
yeah grow in your own time yeah I think that's really important advice for anyone to hear, but especially when you have the constraints of society pushing on you from both sides. Mm-hmm. And you mentioned a, a, a slight possible plug earlier. Uh, <laughs> now is exactly the time I want for people. Where can people find you? Plug yourself. Okay. So there's, I'm going to start with a project that I just did because um, I'm not sure exactly when the release date is, but they just like did a character announcement thing for me. So there's this video game that I did some voice work for. Um, and they just actually, you can find the tweet on my Twitter. So, uh, at mystic rumors is my Twitter. Um, and you can find, a retweet that I made. Um, Basically, I am doing the voice of Persephone for uh, their game. Uh, Theirs is, I feel like I always pronounce her name wrong, Um, but it's Cor, Cory. So that's the name of their game and you can find them on Twitter as well. Um, I'm also on Instagram. (laughs) Um, And you can find me on Instagram at mystic rumors underscore cosplay because i'm mystic rumors on everything (laughs) don't mind me as i'm just following you on twitter right now and retweeting that that announcement post yes and i will be putting the link for all of these in the description below if you're listening to this like on youtube you can just scroll down and find all of her links and i have just now right now as we are recording so by the time this episode's up it will have been retweeted ages ago um but i have retweeted that character announcement because that's so exciting yeah i'm super excited for them um uh it looks like it's gonna be really cool it's like a stealth game Ooh. yeah so yeah it's looks like it's gonna be pretty fun um i want to spread the word so that people are excited (laughs) heck yes yeah so i would watch out their page for like dates and when things are coming out um yeah um so that's that those are my pages yeah all right and if you are listening to if you're listening to this somewhere other than youtube i will just put her handle in the description so you can find it there also if you see saw the promo post on Twitter or Instagram or wherever else you saw the promo post, I will tag her in it. So you can just kind of go straight through the promo post and yeah. And as far as plugging goes, you can find us slowly, but surely wherever you listen to your podcasts, I'm slowly taking over. And thank you so much for joining me, Danny. This was a lot of fun. It was less of an interview and more of a conversation, but I think I like that. It it was just more of a chat and I, I, I really dig that. That was fun. Uh, yeah, so be sure to tune in every Friday. We have different guests coming on to talk about all sorts of different things. Be sure to keep an eye out for the game that Danny was announced for. Again, that was retweeted on my personal and also the Thesperians Twitter. And yeah, and don't forget that all the world's a stage, so give them one hell of a show. This has been Casper with my lovely guest, Danny, and we are signing off. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Great American Scream. My name is Devin Wright. My name is Adam O'Connell. This is a show about America's spookiest attractions, activities, and locales. Your favorite haunted attractions. They don't want to scare you. They just want to party with you. Which, to be clear, is the way I feel about ghosts. Your favorite scary games. If you did look out in the backyard, the man in the fields will get down off his scarecrow post. He will look at you. Yes. And he will begin sprinting. Yes. Your favorite subsets of all horror culture. This is like an episode of Fear Factor without the stipend. Yeah, that's that's probably about right. But it's not a spooky show in and of itself. In fact, it's a very goofy show. That's just smart law. That's that's just law, baby. Should you bring a lawyer to this? Every single week, Adam brings the research and I bring the goofs. We cover everything, just like Adam said, from spooky ritual games, like the one where you summon the devil in a mirror in a church and he tells you how long his uh, dingle is. (laughs) I promise this is not a dingle-based podcast. It is not. It is a... A show in which we discuss the ways we love getting scared and why scaring is so important to our uh, culture. Yeah. It's a really lovely show. Check it out. Yeah. If you like getting scared or if you know somebody likes getting scared or you just want to see if you like getting scared, check us out. A new episode is released every single Tuesday wherever you get your podcasts.